decades ago Looking real good in my passport photo Amateur Traveler, episode 360. Today, the Amateur Traveler talks about mountain gorillas, chimpanzees, and volunteering as we return to Uganda. Welcome to the Amateur Traveler. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Before we get into this week's interview, I do have three news stories for you. In some sad news, although I didn't know them, I have friends who did. Two British bloggers died on a world cycling journey, and they were killed in Thailand. The reason I bring it up is most people will picture bandits or something like that when they hear that headline, but the danger for cyclists when you're abroad, as the danger is when you're here, is traffic, and they unfortunately were killed in a traffic accident. In an odd story, a travel writer was booted off a United Airlines flight because he took a picture of his seat. The flight attendant pointed out a page in United's Hemisphere magazine that says the use of still and video cameras, film or digital, including cellular or other devices, is permitted only for recording of personal events, and apparently the seat wasn't considered a personal event. As somebody who used to be in charge of the development of the Seat Guru product, where we encouraged people to take pictures of their seats, I'm stunned. In an announcement that was far less stunning, three companies from Alaska that take people on cruise ships into tours of local shops have been fined because they failed to disclose that they get a kickback from the shops they take you to. Kickbacks in travel? Say it ain't so. For links to all three of those stories, check out the show notes at AmateurTraveler.com. Before we get into this week's interview, I need to do a little bit of explanation or perhaps apology. I knew that we had done an episode on Uganda before, Uganda and Rwanda, to see the mountain gorillas, which will have some overlap with this episode. But I forgot that we had just done an episode on Uganda about cycling around Uganda. I think you'll find these episodes are so different that I can be excused for not remembering that they were the same country. So I hope you will enjoy this episode. I think that it was worth doing, and I hope you agree. I'd like to welcome Shara Johnson, who's coming to us from skjtravel.net and come to talk to us about Uganda. Shara, welcome to the show. Thank you. And first of all, I am not lisping. Your name is Shara, not Sarah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And what led you to go to Uganda? Well, I'm kind of keen on volunteering. I like to kick off a trip overseas with like a volunteer stint just because that really introduces you to people and the culture in a way that there's just no way you can get as a tourist. And one thing I've always wanted to do is work with chimpanzees. So I had the opportunity at the Uganda Wildlife Education Center. You can volunteer there for anywhere from a week to a month and work with the animals and you could work with chimpanzees and it was fairly affordable for me so that's really what took me to Uganda in the first place and then when I started looking around like well if I flew over there (laughs) I'm gonna gonna do some other sightseeing and it turns out there were just so many things to do so I was like yep I'm definitely going going to see all these things. Two questions that come to me from that one is it sounded like first you went to look for volunteer opportunities and found Uganda and found this opportunity. Correct. How did you find it? Where mm-hmm. did you find it? Just Google. <laughs> Just Googling around for keywords that I wanted and okay. various things. And you didn't end up with one particular site that you found helpful in looking for volunteer opportunities? I'm going to say no, actually. I, okay. I gathered information from just all kinds of places. By the time I ended up 
with this opportunity, I had Googled, I don't looked at so many different sites. There's a lot of sites that are almost like kind of like clearing houses for volunteer opportunities. Mm -hmm. And you can look through those. I really couldn't retrace the path on how I ended up <laughs> at UEC, but <laughs> you said that I wanted to highlight just in case people haven't done volunteer opportunities. I think some people think that if you're volunteering and you're providing labor, that maybe you're even getting paid. But what you said was something that people should know, which is it didn't cost you that much, that usually a volunteer opportunity has a charge with it in addition to getting there. That's right, it does. And typically that's because while you're volunteering, you're, you're being boarded. So mm. a lot of what you're paying for is, is your room and your food. They typically feed you three meals a day. And a lot of places also you'll be making a contribution to the institution or if it's a research project to the research or whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a bummer and a lot of people don't realize that, but it does cost money to volunteer usually. Right. And that's why I just wanted to make sure that people didn't listen to this as their only episode of The Amateur Traveler and walk away with a wrong impression. <laughs> right. Excellent. So is it what you expected? You get over there uh, and you get to just hold and hug chimps all day. <laughs> well, no. it's uh, It was actually <laughs> a lot of work. But I really ended up doing it, which I didn't necessarily Is expect. mucking out chimp stalls? was cutting <laughs> boatloads of fruit and uh, vegetables okay. <laughs> for the chimps. And we made porridge for them and fed them and observed them to make sure they were we didn't see them having any health problems or, or anything like that. And... And I could have worked in the other areas with other animals too, but I was just really so interested in the chimps that I spent most of my time there. So. And do you have a favorite chimp now at the zoo as a result of this experience? Yeah, I did. I had two. The youngest one, Nipa, partially because she was so accessible because she was the smallest one. So like in the night enclosures and things, she's the one who could totally reach her whole arm out to me and we could play games and stuff like that. And then Onapa, who's the youngest male, is he's just so curious and interactive. And he's if any chimp on the island is playing with something or doing something weird, it's going to be Onapa. <laughs> so, I mean, we were just always laughing at him and getting so much entertainment. So those are my two. I call them the duo, Nipa and Onapa. Excellent. Anything else that we should know about the volunteer experience? For that particular one, I think just be aware that you are there to actually help the people to try and make yourself useful. I mean, you go because you want to experience these things, but you need to try and make yourself actually useful and worthy <laughs> of being there and having them taken the time to train you and, and do that sort of thing. So, and I lived, the thing that was kind of cool there too, is I lived on site, actually inside the zoo grounds. So I could walk around at night if I wanted to and listen to all the animals. And so that was kind of cool. Excellent. And then broadening the trip to the rest of your trip, uh -huh. what stands out as a highlight from Uganda? I did the gorilla tracking which that's just an absolutely incomparable experience. And I also did uh, wild chimp tracking, even though I worked with them every day in the zoo. It's, it's a very different thing to see them in the wild. A thing that perhaps a lot of people don't realize about Uganda is it actually has the same wildlife that you find in the more popular safari countries, like Kenya, Tanzania, Botswana. It's got all your elephants, lions, leopards, giraffes, that kind of thing. So... And I just can't get enough of that. So that was great. 
And another highlight for me was I went couch surfing at uh, Lake Bunioni, which is down in the southwest, kind of near where the gorillas are. And I spent five days with a guy there in a mud hut <laughs> with no electricity, no running water or anything. And that was amazing. We just sat around every night around a campfire, drinking beer, talking with my host. And this guy was a secondary school teacher. He came down every night and we talked and just getting so much insight into how the typical rural person lives and what their concept of the world outside of their country is. And we just learned so much from each other. I mean, they it was just really, that was really cool. Now, you told me you had done a couch surfing experience. I pictured a couch. Uh, I, know. I really had a very different mental picture. So he had a, a guest hut. Well, the actual situation is that he has a piece of land and he started a primary school on this piece of land, okay. mostly for orphans. Mm-hmm. The HIV crisis is huge. So there's a lot of orphans. Right, right. So I stayed on, he has three huts where this little school is, one for the school mistress and then two other ones. He stayed in one and then I stayed in the other one. So it was literally just this tiny mud hut with enough space for a bed that was like totally crooked, <laughs> practically fall out of. And then there's an outhouse across the way and, and then the building up top where the campfire was. So it was very primitive living conditions. I didn't know that was going to be the case. So to be honest, <laughs> it was a little bit of a shock. And I had just been staying in like the nicest hotel in the country in Queen Elizabeth National Park. That was the only thing I splurged on. And the next day I come and I'm staying in a mud hut with no, no amenities whatsoever. But but it was cool. Well, <laughs> well, very good. <laughs> and when you talk about the doing the gorilla trekking and the the chimpanzee trekking, those do tend to be more, I want to say, almost luxury travel things. They're not inexpensive and they're very limited in terms of how many, how many people can do them. So you really did a wide variety of activities in this trip. I did. And the chimp tracking is much more accessible and much cheaper than the gorilla tracking. There's two places that, well, that I know of, maybe there's more, but there's two primary places that you can track chimps. I went to Bodongo, which is the least known place, and it only cost me $50. Hmm. And I went with a friend and we were the only two people. We had a guide all to ourselves. We found Hmm. the chimps in an hour. So that was really great. The gorilla tracking, yeah, that's I had a very unique experience. I got my permit through my couch surfing host in a very unconventional way, and I had the gorillas all to myself. But the typical person is not going to have that experience. And the permits are $500, and, yeah, typically you do have to get one months in advance. So, And were you going to elaborate on any of that, or was that going to be better left unsaid? On how I got my permit? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't care. I can talk about it. I'll, I just feel a little bad that <laughs> probably no one can, can recreate it. I, I honestly can't tell you exactly how he got it. He just told me. this. My host used to work for the Ministry of Tourism, so he just had some contacts, and he mm. told me he could get me this permit. And, and I actually suffered an enormous amount of anxiety over this because I had never met the guy. He came and met me at the at the zoo, and I gave him $200 and cash <laughs> to reserve me this permit. <laughs> I don't know this guy. This is Which Uganda. sounds like the beginning of a, a how not to travel story, but uh, okay. 
I was so stressed. I would email him, so do you have the permit yet? No. I mean, it was problem after problem. I honestly was somewhat convinced that I had just given away $200. But he came through, and it had been really poor weather, and so there were supposed to be four other people on the track, but they didn't show up. And so they just hmm. they went ahead and just took me. And the the trackers, I mean, I guess this is pretty much unprecedented. I mean, they even the guides and the trackers were like, I can't believe this. You are so lucky. You get this the gorillas all to yourself. And since it was just me, we made a really good time. We found the gorillas quite quickly. They were in an open ravine. If you can believe it, the rain stopped for precisely the amount of time <laughs> <laughs> that I was tracking. I mean, it was just almost an unreal experience. But I don't know how recreatable that is for the average person. Well, and we say that it's very limited because my understanding is that the rules are that this particular group of gorillas can only have so many visitors in a period of time. And then they have to let them be to try and not domesticate them basically to to not tame them they are wild gorillas yeah that's right that and that's the same for the chimps as well mm -hmm. any all the primate trackings um you get exactly one hour to be with them and the gorillas are limited to eight people on a track i don't know but and i, I actually even got five extra minutes on my thing because just as we were leaving a gorilla knocked over a tree like almost right on top of us and then he just came ambling down and sat down like 20 feet away from us. And everyone was so shocked and just kind of laughing. And so they told me, you know what, you can have five more minutes with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but typically they are just religious about that hour. Mm -hmm. You first said the hour is up. They're like, okay, we got to go now, now, put your camera away now, we're leaving. And then they toppled the tree. But so, yeah, it's that's why it's so limited. It's only a few people, only one group of people per habituated gorilla group mm -hmm. so it's very limited access and unless they're knocking down trees and coming 20 feet away from you how far do you normally get to the gorillas well um once again my experience was somewhat atypical we ran across them in an open ravine and they mm -hmm. the first ones that i saw were probably like 30 or 40 feet away from me and they were just sitting there grooming each other it just really depends the jungle in Uganda it's the Bundi impenetrable forest which is not incorrectly named I mean that's a crazy jungle it's that alone is kind of a adventure just making your way through the jungle so it just depends on where you find them they could be you may not be able to access the terrain very close to them and some people most photos that I see of other people taking they're they're pretty far away they're largely covered by the foliage and for me I, I was just lucky they were real close they were in the ravine I could see their full bodies but normally you're going to want to bring a telephoto lens yeah, it depends. I mean, I only had a 250 lens and they okay. and I didn't I had to zoom out <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> so So I don't want to get anybody's hopes up that you're necessarily going to have that experience. In fact, you can't even be guaranteed to see them. Right. Typically, you have a pretty high chance of. Well, that's true with any wildlife experience that part of part of the wild and wildlife is unpredictable. Exactly. Excellent. Now, we didn't talk about itineraries, so you came into the capital city. Actually, um, no, you come into Entebbe. Oh, okay. Entebbe, yeah, that's where the international airport is, mm -hmm. and that's about maybe 40 kilometers or so from Kampala. I actually really didn't spend any time in Kampala. 
I actually had no reservations anywhere before I left home. I decided since I was spending a month working with people that I would talk to them first and see where they said I should go before I did anything. And pretty much nobody recommended that I hang out in Kampala, so I didn't. <laughs> I never went there. So you came into Entebbe and then you went straight to the zoo and spent a month there? Right, yeah. And then you went where after that? So while I was there, I took a weekend trip to Murchison Falls, which I would recommend to anybody. It's a national park that the Nile River goes through, and the falls themselves, Murchison Falls, are really pretty, and there's tons of wildlife. So you take a boat trip up the Nile, and, and then you can drive around on safari and see the animals. So then after I was done with the zoo, I went to Fort Portal first, which is where the Renzoi Mountains are. A lot of people know them as the Mountains of the Moon, mm -hmm. gorgeous area, and there's a lot of um, sort of cultural activities that you can do there. So I visited a witch doctor and <laughs> took a hike around the Crater Lakes and did some things like that. And were you looking for any particular services from a local witch doctor? or? Well, the truth is I didn't actually know I was going to visit him. Okay. I signed up for a... Uh, Cultural. A, yeah, well... It was like a hike across the lower Renzori Mountains. And so I guess I just didn't really pay attention to the itinerary. And so my guy just kind of pulls up into this courtyard of this hut. And I thought maybe she was like, I don't know, visiting a friend or something. And then we go and we sit down and she says to me, so have you formulated your questions for the witch doctor? And I was like, what? <laughs> and so that's when I learned <laughs> visiting a witch doctor but it was really cool total traditional kind of guy and and so I asked him some questions and he divined answers with using these little wooden sticks in a bowl of water and interpreting the patterns and and stuff like that so so that ended up being really interesting and there's a lot of crater lakes in that area that are really pretty and and let's back up a little bit so you booked a tour to do this just a day tour and you booked it yeah. while you were in country Actually, after I got to Fort Portal itself, okay. I had a friend, I think, who just told me a place to contact. So when I got to my hotel, I had reserved that before I mm -hmm. left Entebbe. And then once I got to the hotel, I asked the front desk to call this tour company for me. And they came, a representative just came to the hotel and sat down with me and asked what I wanted to do. And so I chose a couple things and I had my own guide and so yeah I spent two days in Fort Portal doing that. Excellent and one of the reasons I wanted to get back to that is that I think a lot of people when they go to Africa they have this picture that an African safari an African trip is a very expensive trip per day not just the flights the flights are obviously <laughs> going to be expensive right. because they're booking activities from here Right. So I'm going to guess that if you're there and you're asking the concierge and you're booking a local tour guide, that it's not that expensive. Yeah, I I mean, I, I can't make a comparison since I never mm -hmm. looked into how much it would cost from here. But it was, I mean, I will just tell you, I'm a budget traveler. <laughs> so I'm guessing I, less than $50 a day. Yeah, that's probably about right. For me, yep. it was a little more expensive because I don't, it was probably still about that price because it was just me by myself. Sure. Mm -hmm. The per person charge was more because it was just you, right? That's right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So if I had been with other people, it would have been even cheaper. But I was, it was kind of an off season. And so it was just me and I was perfectly fine with that anyway. So okay. yeah, it's, it's quite affordable really. 
Excellent. And then you started to go somewhere else before I interrupted you. That's okay. So in this instance, then I hired, see, I got around mostly by public transportation. And if you're going to go with a limited amount of time to be there, don't take public transportation. It'll, <laughs> I'm not kidding. It'll take you an entire day to get somewhere that a private driver could get you in a few hours. So if your time is limited, you, you really have to have a private driver. But I did splurge on a private driver to go to Queen Elizabeth National Park. And that's all about the wildlife. And there's just tons of wildlife, especially if you like hippos. There's gazillions of hippos and elephants and leopards and everything else. And then after that, then I went to Lake Bunyoni to couch surf. And I did the gorilla trekking from there, from Lake Bunyoni. And when you were at Lake Bunyoni, were the kids in school at the time or was it a break? Let's just say it's not, when I'm telling you it's a school, I'm pretty sure you're envisioning something a little different than what it is. The kids just kind of come when the guy has enough money to have a schoolmistress, and it's just one room and all the kids pack in there. All she has is a chalkboard and chalk, and for a pointer, she's breaking sticks off a bush to even point at the chalkboard. So that was kind of just a when there's resources to be able to teach class, then the kids come. And he tries to feed the kids at least in the morning, at least breakfast, mm -hmm. and if he has enough money, then lunch as well. And that was a, one of those real eye-openers that I got from that experience. When I was working at the zoo for the chimps in the morning, we fed them each porridge. Most chimps usually got a couple cups of porridge. And then we fed them all kinds of fruits and vegetables twice a day, and then they got more porridge at night. And when I was staying at the school, the kids got one cup of porridge. It, and it was more striking because they were the exact same plastic cups. It's like the only cups they have anywhere in the country are these same brightly colored plastic cups. And those kids got one cup of porridge, and for some, that was the only thing they were going to eat all day. Mm-hmm. So the animals in the zoo were eating like way better than these kids, which was <laughs> something you kind of have to wrestle with. Yeah, so there were a couple of days that I was there with the kids and I watched the teacher teach them and they would do all these morning songs and exercises. And so that was, it was a good experience. But like I say, it's, it's not a school like you're picturing here in America. <laughs> well, I've been to Africa, so that was actually closer to what I was picturing. But Okay, good. <laughs> But also a rural school, school, so uh, not even necessarily desks. Oh, no. No yeah. desks whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then you went from there where? So then I went back. I did sort of day trips from there to the fort, to the gorillas, into town to Kabali and around the lake. And then I went back to Entebbe after that. Excellent. What surprised you about Uganda? Now, was this your first trip to Africa? No, it was not. Okay my second trip to sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. And that's a good differentiator there because it's not the same. As... Yeah, it's not all. Yes, yeah. I've been to Northern Africa as well. Yeah, sub-Saharan. So um, biggest surprise. I think as a traveler, I just, I typically have very few expectations. So in a way, it's, it's almost kind of hard to be surprised. But I think a big thing was sort of the incongruity of how people presented their personal selves against like their living conditions. So, I mean, kind of in a nutshell, how primitive so many of the living conditions were. So 
is almost like you don't judge a book by its cover, but kind of the opposite way that we normally think of it. <laughs> we'll see somebody who looks like a bum, and but it turns out they're really well-educated and maybe wealthy and whatever. And in this case, see people, and, and they're employed, and they look like they're upper class, they're dressed so nicely and so well put together, and turns out they go home to a mud hut or in the city, like a tiny little hovel where they mm -hmm. don't even have a bathroom. They have to walk down the hallway or whatever. And I don't know, just when you look at people, you don't really realize how they're living when you just see them on the streets or, mm -hmm. or whatnot. So, and <laughs> kind of in that line, one thing that cracked me up is when I was couch surfing, the schoolmistress took me for a walk around the island and it had been raining and it was paths were just so muddy and slippery and miserable. And at one point I looked at the two of us and there's me and my pants and my hiking boots and I am just Filthy. And she is clean, and oh you, and you are covered in mud. I have I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Incredible, yeah. She is. She's walking in these dainty little open-toed sandals. I mean, and her feet are like totally clean. She's got this perfectly pressed skirt, and yeah. Anyway, and the other thing that surprised me is the questions, like the habitual questions that I would get asked. And I think the question I got asked more than any other is can we see stars in America at night? Can we see stars? Oh, wow. <laughs> that was so strange. And people would also ask me quite often if um, we have mountains in America. Oh. <laughs> and I live in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, so that was kind of funny. And around Lake Bunyoni, people would ask me if we have lakes in America, and if we do, are they that big? And so people just really had no concept of the geography hmm. of interesting. America. That was interesting. And I'm going to ask one warning you would give, and this is an odd time for me to ask it because this week we actually had a tragic story about a woman traveler who was who was killed for doing solo travel and had stories come out about how women solo travelers is such a bad idea. <laughs> and now we're talking to you about a very <laughs> about a very different experience. But one warning you would give, just something to prepare for. It wouldn't have to be a safety question necessarily. I, what I was not prepared for was some of the things that I wouldn't be able to find there. Uh. Or kind of one of my pet stories has become the fact that I could not find a pair of scissors anywhere in the country. I just, I wanted to cut my bangs and I asked everywhere. The zoo didn't have them, the hotels didn't have them, restaurants didn't have them. I went to places where they say they make photocopies and develop photos. I'm thinking, surely a place like that has scissors. No, nobody has scissors. Machetes, knives, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> and there are some other things that I just was really surprised that, it, that I could not find. So I don't know, just any kind of little specialty item you might want to actually bring with you. <laughs> okay. What do you wish you had known before you went? Besides bring scissors. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely that one. Potentially how arduous and tedious the public transportation was going to be because I literally did spend several days doing nothing but traveling. Well, and having visited a hospital in East Africa, also somewhat dangerous in terms yeah. of put 30 people in the back of a truck and uh, or a, in a oh, yeah. small bus yeah. or whatever, and uh, yeah. that can I be a problem. I passed several overturned buses and yeah. taxis. 
and the other thing for me is I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> uh-huh. So I had to, and bless their hearts, people were very nice to me. And they would actually, if I got into a taxi, they're always full. People would actually get out. Everyone in the line would get out so that I could get in next to the window. That's like the only way I could deal with it. But yeah, they are dangerous. So I think in any situation, whether it's transportation, traveling solo, whatever, just just know that it's all a calculated risk and decide. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you risk $200 and end up saving $300 because you judged correctly whether somebody could be trusted. Right. And that, and that was something I kind of struggled with. Yep. Should I maintain faith in humanity that <laughs> this person is going to treat me right? Or should I be skeptical and, and not have faith in people? And so I was happy that that turned out good, but it, it could not have. Right. It could have gone either way. And then in t- actually one thing that I forgot to mention, when you were talking about a taxi and people getting out, that may have confused a little people. It sounded like you were talking about a collective taxi. Yeah, it's like uh, basically a minivan. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. You're standing at the prettiest spot you saw in Uganda. Where are you standing and what are you looking at? Uh, maybe Murchison Falls, okay. just in terms of landscape prettiness. Mm-hmm scenery because you've got this big wide river when i was there it was this amazing blue sky and the falls and the mist coming up and i don't know for me part of the beauty is the mentally knowing that you're on the nile which is such an icon of africa and civilization and everything and it's just so lush and green and and pretty and crazy birds everywhere and gosh everywhere is is pretty it's it's just a beautiful country anywhere you go fairly green country is my picture of uganda Yes, very, very green. I can't really think of anywhere that was not green. <laughs> when did you feel closest to home and when did you feel furthest from home? So what was very familiar and what was total we're not in Kansas anymore? Well, not in Kansas. I think <laughs> I my favorite thing to ask people turned out to, I don't know why I was just fascinated with this, was um, bride prices because uh, everyone there pays a bride price and typically in livestock when they get married. Even if you live in a city, you generally have relatives that live out in the country and they keep livestock for you that you then pay when you get married. So yeah, this is just not a conversation I'm going to be having at home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I always ask people how much I would cost. <laughs> so I got some <laughs> pretty, pretty interesting answers and varying answers. So did you get any good offers? Well, you know, what was funny is some people told me, like, it took me a while to to understand what was a reasonable answer from people. Some people I later learned were just trying to be complimentary and would say just some astronomical number of cows, 100 cows, where I really learned what was, to put that in context, a woman who was, she held a cabinet position in, in the government, and she got married. And my friend said to me, just with absolute incredulity. Her husband paid 60 cows for her. Can you imagine 60 cows? <laughs> so I knew that people who told me they would pay 100 cows for me were just being ridiculous. And that people who said they would pay 15 or 20 were probably more on the work. A lot of conversations about their cultural things. And and I may have started a whole immigration flood of Ugandan men into America because they could not believe that they could marry an American woman for free. Oh. It was just 
They were just <laughs> astounded. They're like, you mean I don't have to pay anything for you? I'm like, no, nothing. There's maybe a fee to get a marriage license. That's it. They just were beside themselves. That is one of the best answers we've ever had for that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's one of the reasons I, we kind of mentioned this a little bit before the interview began, one of the best reasons to talk to people besides your tourist guide, because they're going to most likely not be super reflective of the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're going to have an education. They're going to have a job. I mean, those things right there are, are somewhat rare. So just getting out and asking all these goofy questions about, about just aspects of their culture. Closest to home. I mean, in, in an odd way, it's almost the same answer where I would be sitting around drinking a beer with people. They have a nice selection of beer in Uganda, surprisingly, just talking about stuff. People were made me feel very comfortable. They're very open and friendly and um, nice and as curious about me as I was about them. And so in a way, it was just it didn't feel like a foreign country. It just felt like just being with humanity like you are anywhere in the world excellent and did you find a favorite ugandan beer yes actually nile special ended up being my favorite okay excellent one thing that makes you laugh and say only in uganda (laughs) oh dear there's a lot of that you having been to africa you know this is africa is is a big saying and there they just morph it into this is uganda and this is the sort of when you were incredulous that way something runs or doesn't run or doesn't run on time or yeah. or yeah. whatever. It's that sort of attitude of, well, this is Africa. Yeah, you just throw up your hands and say, this is Africa. A big thing in, in Uganda is the lack of electricity. Anywhere. Mm-hmm. And this is one thing that is probably good to point out to potential travelers there is there's nowhere that you are going to have reliable electricity in the cities the big cities there are are rolling blackouts constantly they're unpredictable you don't know when they're going to come you don't know how long they're going to last when the national parks those places run on generators so you'll have electricity during the day but not at night so just for your electronics you want to bring like as many batteries as you can and as soon as you as soon as there's electricity just start charging those babies up cuz you just never know when when you're going to have electricity. Well, we had one day when I was there and we were doing a volunteer project and the day before we'd used only hand tools and so we managed to get our hands on some power drills and <clears throat> and we were ready to go and we even asked, and the power was supposed to be on this day, but it was supposed to be off the next day. But those things change. Yeah. <laughs> so we we got there, and we turned on our tools and <laughs> reached for the hand tools because there was no yeah. power for hours. So productive, huh? Yep. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. It's just, I mean, that's kind of when the locals really, even they, I, you kind of think, well, they live with this, so it wouldn't be surprising or frustrating to them. But it is. Even they get so frustrated i mean at the zoo the smallest things they couldn't even keep the egg incubator going because mm. the electricity went out all the time and mm. they didn't have a battery for it and they get flustered <laughs> which i can see but even they don't get used to it They're like ah oh, this is the worst time for the electricity to go out or whatever only in uganda <laughs> before i get to my last two questions uh-huh. what else should we know before we go to uganda some people that I talked to were a little unclear on the visas. You can actually get one when you get there. Okay. 
but it's probably easier to get one before you go. And it, it takes like a week. Like it's really quick because they're not getting a whole lot of applications. So the people are really nice. So I would just for, for the ease of it um, to get a visa before you go. Just know where you are, that you're in a third world country. The best there is not going to measure up to, if you've only ever traveled in Europe, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of a shocker. You're in a third world country. <laughs> Excellent. And then for more information about Uganda too, this is the second time we've done an episode on Uganda. We did another episode on uh, trekking with the mountain gorillas in Uganda way back at episode 80. So people can look for that also. Last two questions though, and these are our standard questions. Finish this sentence for me. You really know you're in Uganda when what? When a gray crowned crane goes flying over you. <laughs> okay. The gray crowned crane is the national bird. I don't know if you know what it is. Google it. It's a beautiful, absolutely beautiful bird. And I've never, they have them at the Denver Zoo, which I've seen numerous times, and they've always been my favorite. And to see them, I saw them, and they had them at the zoo, but then also just out in the country taking these day hikes and also in the national parks. And they're just flying over you, just there in the wild like that was just astounding to me and i was i would just think wow this is uganda <laughs> excellent and if you had to summarize uganda in just three words what three words would you use jungle okay green jungle to describe the landscape friendly okay just people were so nice to me and i think Getting back to being a, a solo traveler, some people might feel more nervous, but I felt people were very paternal to me and mm -hmm. maternal to me and really took care of me and just really went out of their way to do special things for me. I think potentially because I was on my own. So I think friendly, jungle, and I'm going to have to say primates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's just <laughs> such the iconic experience to see the gorillas. Absolutely. Which... Excellent. Cheryl, where can people read more about your travels? Well, you can go to my website, which is skjtravel.net. It's my narrative blog, so I make posts in real time while I'm traveling. Assuming you have electricity and internet. Occasional. <laughs> <laughs> rotating electricity and rotating internet access. And I mean, it was brutal, to be honest. So maybe you could pay attention. If, if you see all my blog posts, Imagine if you were to make those here in America, it might take you, I don't know, half an hour to upload your photos, put them in there, write the text. Just know that it took me like four times longer right. <laughs> to do any of those. The electricity might go out like three different times and the internet was slower than anything and it was quite a, quite a production. But yeah, I, I got it done. <laughs> Excellent. Shara, thanks so much for coming on The Amateur Traveler and sharing with us your obvious love for Uganda. It is a great country. I do love it. I hope that more people will visit it. And thanks for having me on. I just have one item in the news from the community. I got a review on iTunes from Pat in California who says, Love Chris's podcast and his gentle approach with guests. He seems to get the best from them. Chris's knowledge of history is an added plus. There have been some great discussions of destinations around the world. I like the last three questions of each guest. If they have adequately described their destination, I can guess what those answers will be, a sign of a successful podcast. That and creating desire to book my next flight to the same destination. 
Pat, thank you so much. Pat gave us a five-star review, and when people do that, it does help people find the show, so I appreciate it. With that, we're going to end this episode of The Amateur Traveler. If you have any questions, feel free to send an email to host at amateurtraveler.com, or better yet, either post a comment on this episode or join the discussion at facebook.com slash amateurtraveler, including any travel questions you may have. You can also follow me on Twitter, and as always, thanks so much for listening.